This episode of The How of Car Washing is sponsored by Diamond Shine. Diamond Shine is the premier car wash chemical manufacturer dedicated to maximizing the profitability and performance of car washes nationwide. Visit diamondshine.com today to learn from the industry experts. Welcome to the How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. Hi, this is David Begin. Welcome to the How of Car Washing. My guest today is, again, is Derek Kaufman from Swartz Associates. This is a two-part series, or I believe it'll probably be a multiple-part series. We'll keep going, but uh, Derek and I are finishing up our conversation on automotive aftermarket technologies, what are some of the new technologies that are going into vehicles, and what can we expect in the future for vehicles. So I know there's a lot of changes that are happening in the market. There's a lot of media and press out there talking about autonomous vehicles and how that's going to change the landscape as we know it, uh, as far as how we drive and how we ride in vehicles and what that's going to do to roads and what that's going to do to insurance and different things like that. I was thinking, Derek, uh, you know, as I was driving yesterday, the frustrating part of being in traffic, but also uh, the use of this technology in autonomous vehicles will probably decrease the road rage uh, problems that people have when they're driving in cities in highly dense dense areas. Yeah, that that could be a very interesting uh, issue, David, because uh, you think about uh, the, the fact that uh, autonomous vehicles will be doing exactly the speed limit everywhere they are. Uh, so they won't have road rage, but I wonder about the people around them who, uh, are, are limited in that, uh, you know, that you're used to going slightly faster than the, uh, than the speed limit. Uh, now in a, in a world with, uh, you know, 10% autonomous vehicles on the road, uh, you know, everybody will be doing exactly what the law says. That'd be, that'd be interesting. I don't know if it decreases road rage or increases road rage. That's a that's a great point. I hadn't thought about that. That uh, you know the, the ability to follow law. So if if you take that out to its logical extreme, where we have all autonomous vehicles, the fact that uh, police won't be writing as many tickets, and what will that do to cities in terms of their ability to raise revenue for the police department and and through uh, fines and tickets, those those are going to dramatically decrease as well. Yeah, there's just a huge amount of headline. Uh, activity right now on autonomous vehicles for obvious reasons. Uh, all the OEMs seem to be working on them. Uh, and, uh, you know, you hear rental companies uh, going toward them. Obviously, the, the Bay Area with, with Google out ahead, uh, you know, uh, you know, started the, the whole autonomous craze. And uh, I, I believe that we're, we're riding a, a, a typical hype curve here where you know, the entire world is going to be autonomous vehicles. That, that's what we're hearing today. There is a, an article by a, a group called Rethink X out uh, that says uh, by 2030, which is 10 years after they uh, forecast the, uh, the legal approval by the federal government of autonomous vehicles in 2020. So but 10 years after that approval, they say that 95% of all vehicles on the road will be autonomous electric drive vehicles and only 5% of vehicle miles traveled will be on with individually owned vehicles. 
So we have just, at Schwartz Advisors, we've just written an article on this issue, uh, working out the math of the auto aftermarket. You know, taking the 270 million cars that are on the road today, the fact that we put 17 million new cars in each year, and we subtract or scrap about 4.2% right now. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're taking out 11 or 12 million uh, from the market. So we have a net add each year. So the number of vehicles on the road right now is actually going up uh, every year. And as you know, uh, the vehicles are lasting longer. The average age is 11.7 years now. Uh, so we think the math of the Rethink X article uh, is questionable. Uh, so we've written an article uh, asking those questions. The issue with our 24-hour news cycle, however, is that 20 or 30 or 300 uh, various sites pick up the Rethink article and without question reprint it. Uh, so that if you're you know, looking at the auto aftermarket and thinking about maybe investing in it, uh, you're reading now today that uh, 95% of all cars will be autonomous and only 44 million cars will be on the, uh, on the highways. Uh, and we'll have to scrap 100 million vehicles uh, very quickly. We don't think the math adds up. But, no, no. Uh, yeah. Now, having said that, autonomous cars are coming. They make a lot of sense. They will, as you say, reduce congestion in, in cities uh, and, and obviously unlock travel for the very young, the very old, the very poor, uh, so that we actually see them as a boon for the auto aftermarket of increasing vehicle miles traveled uh, and, by the way, increasing the amount of service required uh, and the amount of car washes required because... Uh, autonomous fleets are going to want to deliver a clean car for your ride. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk about the scrap rate because I think that's an interesting statistic. So are those cars that are disappearing to other countries? I know a lot of cars that I see being sold at auction here, at least in Colorado, if you go down I-25, a lot of them being towed down. If it's an older vehicle, it's being towed to Mexico to be fixed up and sold yeah down in that country. Is that considered a scrapped car or are you talking about actually going to the crusher? No, I'm, I'm talking crap. about, I'm talking about attrition. So vehicles leaving the, leaving the roads of the United States, however they leave. Uh, so not, you know, not crushing them. Uh, if you remember back, uh, was it 2009, I think, uh, yes. we had ca cash for clunkers. Yeah. So uh, that, that was a giant idea to spur the industry, uh, clean up the, the air by getting, you know, uh, pre-emission cars off the road. So I think the, uh, the federal government spent uh, $3 billion and removed about 690,000 vehicles from uh, U.S. highways. So uh, with that math, it uh, will cost the federal government $400 billion dollars. Uh, to do the hundred million cars off the off the highway, and obviously cash for clunkers didn't work very well because it took perfectly serviceable cars away from low income people who need them. Right, uh, right. So it kind of worked against what uh, the the intention was, and uh, you know we think that the mandates of of forcing people out of being able to drive their cars. Uh, is a very contentious issue, and it won't happen uh, in anywhere near the 10 or 15-year time period that Rethink X uh, thinks it will happen. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that scrap rate is that scrap rate has come down over the years, I would imagine, you know, over would, the last 20 or 30 years. Absolutely. Uh, you know, obviously cars rusted out uh, more often. So they're, they're, the quality is up. Uh, completely viable of replacing uh, engines or doing major engine work on a 10 year old car now. It didn't used to be. And, uh, you know, the, the, that average age has gone up from 11.4 or 5 to now 11.7. So there's a you know there's a ton of 15 and 20 year old cars uh, you know driving there. And it, I think the scrap rate used to be in the mid fives, and it's it's down to 4.2. Okay, okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah, it's it, that it, you know seeing the cars come off. So are we seeing a net increase in cars? Then do you think we are? Uh, as long as you don't get into a 2008 2009 you know, economic period, uh, we're putting 17 million new cars into the, uh, vehicle, um, or the VIO, the, uh, vehicles in operation, uh, and we're taking 11 or 12 out. So we do have a net ad every year. Okay. Okay. So that kind of dovetails into what we want to talk about with the younger generation, the millennials who seem like they don't like vehicles, for whatever reason, or they're not buying vehicles and they're, they want to bike to work and they want to use ride share. And can, give me your thoughts on where those folks are going and what you think their mindset is. I've heard that I've heard everything from they're not buying cars because they can't afford cars or they're not buying cars because they don't want to own the asset. There's not that we, we, we were, I think when we finished up our last podcast, I was concerned, you know, a lot of the industry is fueled by that basic love affair of vehicles that we grew up with in the fifties to probably the last 10 years where owning a car meant a lot more as far as status symbol and freedom and having a Camaro or a Trans Am when I was in high school was the big deal. It's not, those things are not translating right now. I don't know to the younger generation. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I, I think it is true in one way and probably not true in another way. We think that, Millennials are getting into the automotive market. They're just getting in later. If you take a look uh, at television and the reality shows, and when I'm talking about reality, I'm talking about uh, automotive reality shows, a lot of young people in there customizing vehicles and every bit as involved as we ever were uh, in, in uh, you know, customizing their, their cars. Uh, but the, the society has changed. So, you know, we, we never conceived of an Airbnb uh, 30 years ago where, you know, I'd allow people to come and use my house. Um, and, you know, that's gone on. Now we have City Bike. We have, you, you can get work done through a, a Task Rabbit, uh, you know, the Lending Club, uh, you know, all these, all these different things. Uh, and, you know, I, I guess folks are calling it crowdsource capitalism. Uh, okay, that's a reality in the society, and it is now translating into the automotive uh, area uh, through two different ways, and that is car sharing, and you you see, you know, the GM and uh, and Ford. I mean, all of the vehicle manufacturers looking really hard at the uh, the various car sharing platforms, uh, and uh, you know, wanting to you know play in that in in that game. Uh, but then you also have fractional ownership. 
So fractional ownership says probably is is a way to think about it is the next extension of leasing. I think that over 30% of vehicles now uh, being sold in the United States are are leased vehicles simply because the the price of vehicles has gone up so much. Uh, so more and more people are leasing. It's over 50% of uh, luxury brands uh, are leased. Uh, the next extension to that is, well, don't even own the car, just own a piece of the car. So it's fractional ownership, uh, which says that you pay a, a monthly fee for access to a vehicle. Uh, so there's, uh, there's a group called Clutch uh, in Atlanta, uh, where they have three different pay rates. I think it's seven fifty a month and nine fifty a month and fourteen hundred dollars a month for different levels of cars. The seven fifty gets you a two thousand and thirteen through two thousand and fifteen car. But the interesting thing for our industry is to think about is that the offer is that for that seven hundred and fifty dollars, your insurance is covered, your maintenance is covered, the warranty is covered, uh, the uh, you know, any, any of the service re- related to the car is covered. And by the way, detailing on a yearly basis uh, uh, can be covered uh, as well. Uh, and Clutch says, if you need a pickup truck for the weekend, get a pickup truck. If you're going on vacation to Disney World and you need a van to haul the family, you get a van for a week. Uh, you go into the coast, get a convertible for the weekend. And so you, you have this constant access to different vehicles like a rental company, uh, but it's all within your monthly fee. We see these kinds of group ownership of cars. And there's been a couple others, by the way. Volvo is experimenting uh, right now, and Audi is too, uh, with multiple owners of the, of the same vehicle. Uh, and, you know, you just get access to it on a shared uh, basis. This... This changes how car wash operators look at the future because it converts you from a business-to-consumer play to a business-to-business play where you're dealing with the fleet and trying to figure out how to handle the, the, um, the cycle of cars you know, coming off of a, off of a fleet you know, type of operation. So I think it's something real. I think it, uh, it will expand. Uh, Cadillac, by the way, has something called Book. It's a little bit more expensive. It's $1,500 a month. Uh, but you get to uh, choose any Cadillac any Cadillac model that you want, and you get to change the model multiple times in a 12-month period. Uh, so these are real things uh, that our industry needs to watch. This episode of The How of Car Washing is sponsored by Diamond Shine. Diamond Shine is the premier car wash chemical manufacturer dedicated to maximizing the profitability and performance of car washes. Efficiently producing clean, dry, and shiny cars nationwide, Diamond Shine helps operators create a top-notch wash experience and satisfied repeat customers. From branding and marketing to on-site problem solving, Diamond Shine's team delivers results. Visit DiamondShine.com today to learn more from the industry experts. I'll be honest with you, Derek. I have no idea what I spend on vehicles a year because I don't, I don't, I mean, I'll track my gas. Yeah. I don't track my insurance. I don't 
you mean, I'm, I'm capturing all this information, but I've never put together the cost. What's really, I've got three vehicles. Yep. What's it cost for me to own these three vehicles? And it's probably a lot more that, you know, when you think 750 bucks to $1,500 a month, I think that's a lot of money, yep. but probably in, in hindsight, it's not. Well, if you take a look at it, I thought when I saw the 1500 for Cadillac, I recoiled at first and said, boy, that's a lot of money per month. But then just as you said, you begin to break it down. So you have the car payment itself. Let's say that's four or 500 of the, of the 1500. Might be more, might be six, seven, 800. Right. Yeah. Right? Uh, and then you have insurance. Uh, you have uh, the maintenance uh, that goes into the vehicle. Uh, you have, uh, if you if you care about your car and, and you're washing your car and you're detailing the car once a year, you have that expense. Uh, you know, so yeah, it's it's just like uh, if you sat back and added up all the subscriptions to things you have, you'd probably be shocked at how much a month you're paying for the combined subscriptions that uh, that you. Uh, that you've signed up for. So I think maybe the 750 or the 950 that Clutch is talking about here, uh, not not too crazy. No. Uh, you know, and then AAA has gotten into it. They have uh, something called Gig. Uh, so AAA members will have access to fleets. Uh, obviously, Lyft, Uber, uh, GM has Maven. Uh, but now just this week, you notice that uh, Avis and Hertz have both gotten into the game saying, well, you know, we're not going to let this uh, fractional ownership or ride sharing, you know, get beyond the rental companies. We're the people with the fleets. You know, we ought to be able to do this. So this is something to to definitely watch. And I think, you know, we, we've coined a new acronym at Schwartz Advisors, a BMT, which is business model transformation. We think that it's as, as strong and uh, as important as a lot of the other acronyms we have in the industry. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think about all the benefits of that. I don't have to worry about maintaining the car. I don't have to worry about fueling it necessarily. I guess I would if I keep it over a period of time. But and there's a lot of things I don't have to worry about if I'm not the, the sole owner of a vehicle. And, and it's nice to have a car that I can rely on and not worry about maintenance or oil changes or those type of things. So oh, I think that's exactly right. And, and um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it how it plays out. Uh, one of the things uh, I think we talked before. I told you I was I was involved in uh, the supply of vehicles for the Car to Go program, which Daimler has, and we put 200 cars into Austin, Texas. And one of the key challenges of that program, the Car to Go allows you to pick up a car. You have a basically a credit card that gives you access to a locked vehicle. You get to pick it up drive it and drop it off and not take it back to where you picked it up. Oh, it's a unique feature. Well, from a logistics standpoint, though, we want to deliver a clean car and a fueled car to people. So now the car to go platform in Austin is chasing 200 cars. And if you need to scale it up, now you're chasing 500 cars and trying to, with cameras and things, understand the cleanliness of the vehicle and the and the readiness for application. Uh, so it's a it's a logistical challenge uh, that's pretty complex. What I'm interested in, though, is that aftermarket service shops and aftermarket uh, car washes are, uh, can certainly be part of that solution, uh, as long as these companies are getting in early to the cycle uh, so that uh, the the fleet companies don't need to put in their own infrastructure. 
because uh, the infrastructure is already there. Why do they need to invest in it? Uh, if we can strike a deal that says we've got the infrastructure, uh, we'll play ball based on your timetable. That's the challenge of the deal. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree with that. I was, in my my mind whirls as we talk about this. How do I get on the front end of it as a car wash operator to start convincing people? I, I have some local, like a local neighborhood Hertz company that washes their cars with me. But you know, they use the basic wash. They don't they don't buy a fifteen dollar wash. They're buying a five dollar wash and. Um, you know, they, they vacuum it themselves. They don't, you know, we, we don't offer that service, but that's not probably something they're going to pay for. So these companies look at these costs, the cleaning costs very closely, and that's, that's a controllable cost. And as they put pressures on their regional and district managers to control costs, that's one thing that I see going by the wayside, you know, I'll see them depending on what's going on with the company. I'll see increases in car washes and decreases depending on how much money they're spending. But you know, for us to get out on the front end of that is, I think, is going to be very important to convince them that we can do it quicker and cheaper than they can with with labor. Um, so yeah, got to be- I think you're exactly right. And as you say, make it up in volume, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's going to be a lot different. They're, they're yeah. not going to be they're not going to be interested in the fifteen dollar wash. So a business to business model is going to be very very different for us, and we're going to have to figure out how to how to do well in it and thrive. And people will, and they'll get it figured out, but it's a lot different than the business to consumer market. We're not appealing to the psychological aspect of getting your car washed and feeling good and taking care of a, you know, a vehicle because you love the vehicle. You're taking care of it because it's, it's one of many assets a corporation owns. Exactly. Right. Well, and you know, come back to the same thing with autonomous. I'm not going to feel anything for my autonomous car that comes to pick me up. Uh, so, you know, that, that is a change that we, we've got to figure out because I, I fully agree with you that there's, I, I always tell people that it's always a happy day for me when I go and get my tire, uh, new tires, a set of tires on the car. Why? I, I don't know why. I always feel good about putting yeah. new tires on my vehicle because I care about the vehicle and I want to yeah. keep it and I, and I maintain it. Uh, but it's because I own it. And, uh, you know, what this, uh, the whole Bay Area convention here is, you don't need to own anything in the future. Uh, and you know what that stems from is the fact that from San Francisco all down, down to Palo Alto, you can't afford to own anything. Right. So, so everybody is shared up with everybody else in apartments. I mean, it's just part of the cost of living uh, in the Bay Area. And so everybody makes, uh, giant salaries at these uh, various programming or coding uh, companies. Uh, but from a, from a quality of life standpoint and the application of the dollars, great weather, great food, not necessarily great accommodations. Right. Right. Yeah. And they're starting to see that, starting to see those struggles in that, that part of the area when it comes to that. It's, 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 it's it is ironic. That's why I don't live there. And that's why probably you don't live there. We enjoy wide open spaces and, um, a little larger homes that we might be able to own. So yeah, it's, it's, it is a different, different mentality. So a couple of questions. So talk about the media, the media is overblowing this whole thing with autonomous as far as it's going to be here tomorrow. Is that just typical news cycle nonsense or is there anything else driving that? I know with a 24 hour news cycle, these come, these news channels have got to fill it with something, but is, is, I mean, what, is there any reason for it or just we're, it just kind of gets it tickles people's ears? You know, I, I, I think it's it's filling filling space and it's doing so uh, without 
without critical thinking about what you're filling it with. I, okay. I, I have a routine in the morning. I, I have an iPad and I get up and I have my breakfast, I have a cup of coffee and I'll, I'll scroll through several news sites uh, on the iPad. I do Flipboard and Feedly and I've got my Apple News. I notice a pattern where, first of all, the same story shows up 20 times in a morning. You know, it's been picked up and uh, they have space to fill, and this thing is a—it's got to be refreshed every, you know, every so many hours, uh, and so they're going to pick up this article from Rethink X, uh, and and run it. They don't—they don't contact Rethink X. They don't ask any questions. They don't contact the, you know, the Auto Care Association or the or the uh, International Car Wash Association to find out what the numbers are of the industry. They just run the article. Uh, so you have this mass, this kind of critical mass of news that happens to be incorrect um, or, or at least not fully analyzed, uh, and uh, it becomes fact uh, over time. And, you know, we see it in the, in the political realm, you know, times 3,000. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we're suffering, as, in my opinion, as, as a society, we're suffering at this... Uh, this lack of critical thinking uh, about, uh, you know, the things that people uh, put out. And um, we'd be better served with a lot less articles and, uh, you know, some deeper analysis of the, of the content. But yeah. Yeah, that's life as we know it. And uh, we've got to deal it. Your, your antenna has to be fully up to, uh, you know, understand the, uh, uh, the wheat from the chaff here. So it's difficult. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting when I when I have a background of a news story that I see locally, somebody was there or involved in it or whatever. I'm surprised how much how many factual errors there are in most news stories um, when when you really know the truth. So I'm, I'm a pilot, so when I see a issue about uh, a plane, yep. you know, cra- crashing or whatever, and the the way they create the story, you think, well, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right, and um, so yeah, I, I just can't imagine how many factual errors there are on stories I don't know. So being, being diligent about that, I think is important, but um, there's a new terminology coming out and we're going to, I want to ask you one more and then I think we'll, we'll stop here and then we'll, we'll talk about our autonomous next podcast. We'll talk about it, you know, getting into autonomous vehicles, but I'm hearing this term called the passenger economy. So they're talking about what's going to happen with autonomous vehicles and the, the idea of what the passenger economy is going to be. Right. You want to speak to that? Well, you know, what people are talking about there is that, you know, getting away from ownership, repurposing the vehicle. So what is now going on in the vehicle? What can you deliver to that space so that a passenger or let's say a person who used to be a driver with full attention on the road uh, on a on a one hour trip into work uh, now has an hour of essentially free time. What do you fill that time with? And you have that person, uh, you have location-based GPS understanding exactly where they are, what they're passing, uh, what can I feed them, you know, uh, from all kinds of retail establishments or whatever, uh, and uh, uh, affect that, that space and time for that one-hour period. So uh, it, that's the conversion, basically. We always used to think about vehicles uh, as a driver in a vehicle. Uh, 
and you know the passenger economy says no you don't need to think about it that way uh, anymore basically the vehicle becomes an appliance uh, and you measure that by its uptime and availability uh, but uh, you you fill the space inside that vehicle completely differently than you do today yeah. And I've seen some pictures, I guess Wall Street Journal had an article a couple of weeks ago, but it looked like a living room <laughs> right. in a car, which I'm like, well, you still have to worry about the safety features, right? This is still a moving vehicle and we have to make sure passengers are safe and protected. So it's not going to quite be a living room type of environment, but that might be an example where people are trying to stretch out their ideas further than maybe what reality or what you, common sense. Exactly right. And, and so we don't understand yet, and, and that's why I think that the, the adoption rate here has just got to be much longer than we're telling ourselves it is today. For all the implications of riding backwards in a car and having that car hit something or be hit, uh, and you know, what, what does that do? Uh, and you know, how many airbags can you put inside that vehicle to protect a person who's, re- who's now sitting at a certain angle? I, I went through crash tests, uh, uh in, a, in a past life. I, I did the, pa- the crash test for a brand and, uh, you know, work with NHTSA on those things. The criticality of the angle of the driver or the passenger on whether they are alive or dead at the end of that impact is a matter of degrees or fractions of degrees. So what happens to a person who is sitting kind of three quarters or, or you know, in a rotating chair? Um, yeah, there's so much to think through here that uh, I just think it's a lot longer adoption curve than we think it is. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And you're, you're, a, you're a big champion of the aftermarket technologies and what it does. Do you want to speak to how aftermarket technologies, how they're, they're going to impact all this, all these things we're talking about? Sure. So I am, uh, and Schwartz Advisors is certainly, uh, you know, we're, we're aftermarket focused. So we have that bias. We, we proudly admit to it. We've watched telematics, the embedded telematics in vehicles and, you know, all the things that vehicle manufacturers can bring you. Uh, Geotab and Automatic.com and a number of other telematics providers can bring you to. So the aftermarket has a great history of adapting to uh, technology challenges. Uh, take a look at Mobileye uh, out of Israel, small company uh, that saw an opportunity to do a forward-facing camera that would indicate that there is a person in the roadway up ahead of you that you might not see. Uh, I think, about, I don't know, five years or so later, uh, Intel buys Mobileye for $1.5 billion because they've now transitioned into autonomous vehicle sensors. Um, that's the aftermarket. They, they start, that is an aftermarket company. And, uh, you know, tell you what, if you have your personal money at risk, uh, you're, you're innov- innovative by default. And uh, so we believe in that, and uh, we, we continue to see aftermarket companies adapt uh, to the societal changes and to the technology changes that face them. And they tend to move a lot quicker than the OEs do when it comes to this type of technology. And I would guess the OEs look out to these aftermarket companies for the emerging technologies and what they can embed in their, their new cars. Well, I, I think that what the OEs understand at the end of the day is as you go back to that 270 million cars on the road 11.7 years average age 
that their brand reputation is not the three years of the warranty or five years of an extended warranty or lease period. Uh, it is the 20 years that that car is on the road uh, and the dependability that is represented by keeping it maintained. And in order to accurately maintain it, you know, they need to provide the information for the aftermarket to do that. Uh, and that's just, that's just a fact that the numbers tell you has to exist. Yeah, that's tremendous. Yeah, exciting. So for my 2008 Toyota Tundra, there's hope that I'll be able to take advantage of some of these technologies. In, which I'm in, my, in my 2004 Chevy Silverado. You there bet. you go. There you go. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and end this particular podcast, Derek. And I think on the next one, let's. Well, I want to kind of dive into autonomous vehicles and some details, and you can Great. give us your thoughts on that. So thanks so much for this episode. We'll look forward to uh, the next episode of The How of Car Washing. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The How of Car Washing. And thanks to our show sponsor, Diamond Shine. Please visit us at thehowofcarwashing.com for the show notes to this episode. Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.